Ecclesiastes 3, 16 through 17, and it states and reads there, Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And that's it this morning. That's it. We're done. So this morning, if we can, let us pray and pray for Keith first and then the the, the scripture second. No, we will pray for God's word. Uh, We pray that it would not go void as we gather around it this morning together. So let us pray. Father God, we come before you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, two verses, but Lord, there is so much here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do it justice this morning. And and Lord, I pray that you would uh, just be with us as we've met in this place to sing, to pray, uh, to receive God's word from your word, Lord God. Lord, I pray that it would not go void, that it would not depart from us, and we would not depart from it. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would help us in in the opening of this word this morning to see you more clearly and therefore know how to love and worship and adore you more wholly. Lord, we, we, we thank you for all that you do and are doing. Be with us now, we do pray. For apart from you, what can we do? We would dare not do any of these things without you. Be with us now. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. Now, before I get started in this morning's text, I just want to let you know, I didn't plan these things, all right? So when we left off, we kind of talked about uh, of Ecclesiastes like three weeks ago before Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Uh, we were kind of like, kind of scratching the surface of the justice of God. Uh, the Easter message, if you're here for, uh, for Easter, you heard that. There was a touch of the, the, the message of the justice of God. Guess what this morning's about? The justice of God. Now, be like, man, Kyle is just, what's wrong with that guy? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with me. We're just, we're just merely going through the text of Scripture as it's laid out. And so uh, it is perfectly aligned today that we will talk about this once again. This morning's sermon title is Perfect Justice, Perfect Justice and the God Who Sees All. Perfect Justice and the God Who Sees All. See, our theology, which means the study of God, a verse, our theology of verse age has lost, oftentimes I would, I, would, I would say, has lost sight of divine wrath and justice. We, we don't teach these things anymore because honestly no one wants to hear them, right? Who wants to hear uh, that God is angry or God is mad or God is going to do something that we uh, don't want him to do or act upon. We don't, this is not, you don't build churches on, hey, we're going to start a new church. We're going to start it on God's wrath and, and the multitudes are just going to show up, right? That's not where you start oftentimes with that thinking. And the doctrine of God's justice simply does not fit well in our soft, therapeutic, comfort-seeking, everyone is right, no one is wrong, live your best life now kind of Christianity, all right? We love the reality of love. We love the reality of God's forgiveness. We we love the reality of the grace of God. And brothers and sisters, we should. Amen? Can I just get an amen real quick? Because we're talking about justice here, and I just want to make sure that everybody knows. Love, forgiveness, grace is what? Amen. Amen. We love that. We should. 
The question I have this morning is, whatever happened to justice? Whatever happened to justice? The Bible gives the dual image of God as both a lion and a lamb. Uh, we looked at that last week. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ at the cross, he, he is both uh, in and of the, uh, the same in, in that very moment. Jesus, we see Jesus as the lamb. He came on a donkey's colt. Remember the foul of a donkey? On, on Palm Sunday we talked about there's the lamb, the lamb. That's the, last week we looked at the final sacrifice, uh, the, what, the, the ninth hour, three o'clock, the shofar uh, is blown. It's the, it's the last sacrifice before Passover. Jesus is the last and final sacrificial lamb for the sins of mankind. The religious system was broken when Jesus was the final lamb for our sins. And so what you know, you have to understand that all throughout Scripture, Jesus is a lamb. But don't forget that that one, and like I said, I was tying a lot with Easter, that one on a donkey will come back on a donkey? No, he's coming back on a war horse, and it's not a pretty sight. We've got to understand that Jesus Christ is not only the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, he is the, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what happens in our culture is if you take one over the other, you have a misplaced, misrepresented Christ. You have a misrepresented God. This happens all the time where you can jump in one side of it and be like, my God, he's just sweet and kind and nice and he doesn't hurt a soul. Right? Well, listen, you can roll with that God all you want. He doesn't exist. It's a figment of your imagination. But... I'm a fair, I want to be very fair this morning. You can come over here and be like, my God, hate sinners is going to kill all of you. Right? And it's like, man, dude, grace, mercy, the cross. And if you do these things, what, what happens is we begin to uh, strip away aspects of the character and the nature of God and, and, and also Christ Jesus. This is not what we are to do as Christian men and women. Is that right? True? We are supposed to put God forward as he is, Christ as he is. So what you need to understand is that, again, the picture of a lamb is a favorite image among many today, and it is a proper, and it is a correct image. However, God's lion likeness is not particular, it's not particularly celebrated, but listen, what have our culture sought to do? They take the lion of the tribe of Judah that will judge the, uh, judge the world in righteousness. And our culture has said, look, we, we like Jesus this way, but that other, we're going to take away his teeth, we're going to take away his claws, and we're going to take away his, uh, uh, I would say, wildness. And what we've done is even if Jesus is a lion, he's a lion with no teeth, no claws, sitting behind bars, literally depressed. And we say, mighty king, mighty to save. No. It's a sad reality when we've turned God of the universe into a toothless, whamsy-pamsy, no claws, no fight, shell of what he's supposed to be. Well, I wouldn't say supposed to be, is. In other words, man likes his God far too weak and oftentimes likes our God or gods, to be merely a servant to us. Hello, Genesis 3. God was God. Man was not. And man said to, of God, I don't like where you're sitting. I think I would like to sit there more and uh, come and sit at our feet, God. Sin entered into the world because of the pride of Adam and Eve. 
to be like God. However, may I suggest we do not truthfully understand Church, listen, we will not appreciate we, and feel the weight of God's mercy, the weight of God's love, the weight of God's grace, the weight of God's forgiveness, his laminness in the gospel apart from, listen, first understanding God as holy, God as righteous, and God as just and wrath, his lionness. So here's a side note. My fear is when we say we worship God and yet seek to overlook or disbelieve aspects of his character in nature, this morning we're looking at his justice, in which we simply find offensive maybe within the culture, do we truly worship God at all? Do we truly worship him as he is? You cannot You cannot only accept the love of God and not the wrath of God. You can't accept the grace of God and also not his justice of God. God does not allow himself to be picked and chosen by you or me. God has not left himself to this. So this morning, let us seek to understand the question in light of today's text. This question I'm about to ask in light of what we just read. Okay, so here's the question. The question is this. Why is it so important for us to understand and to know the justice of God as good news? Let me say that again. Why is it so important for us to understand and know the justice of God as good news? Yes, you wrote the, you're taking notes, write that right. Pastor Kyle said, good news. This morning, once again, let me just read so we can... We can Dive into it a bit here, verses 16 through 17. So I'm going to read it one more time, one more time. Here you go. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. This morning, from this text, I want to give you, we're going to try to answer that question. I'm going to give you three reasons, three reasons. So this should be on the the PowerPoint here. The three reasons this morning is reason number one. The reason why it is so important to understand God's justice as good news, reason number one, because God's justice is a part of his character or nature. It's God, that's why. Number two, God's justice is the answer to all injustice in our world that we live in today. The question of what is fair and what is right. Number three, because God's justice gives beauty and weight to the gospel. Gives weight and beauty to the gospel. So this morning, let's dive into reason number one together. So reason number one is because God's justice is a part of his, uh, his character and his nature. In, in other words, it is who God is. It is the reality of the God of biblical Christianity. Justice is a term used for what is right or as it should be. And see, God has established he is making all things new. God, from the moment of Adam and Eve's sin, is seeking to right all wrongs, make all things new, and return turn them to their proper place. Justice is not an optional product of God's will. To take or to leave simply if we like it or don't like it. 
However, it is an unchangeable principle of his very nature. In other words, for God to set aside his justice, if God was to sit there and say, I'm going to listen to mankind, and I'm listening to you not like an aspect of who I am, and for your sake, I'm going to take my justice, and because it's too offensive or too hard for us to understand or, or, or accept, I'm going to take it off, and I'm going to say, for your sake, man, I'm going to put down my justice, and I'm going to be what you want me to be. For God to do that very thing, which is, that is very sweet of God to do that for us. See, when God does that, God no longer is God. Because, you know, we say all the time, love is love. Have you heard that? That's a mantra we hear in our, 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 our culture today. Love is love. That's not true. Love is not love. God is love. And God defines what love is. He is the definition of what love is. And so here's the thing. God is just. So God, and not man, is the center of how we will be judging justice. God has not allowed himself to be not God. He's God. And what you need to know is that God is just because that's who he is. To stop being just is to stop being God. Verse 17 says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, verse 16, this is a reality, brothers and sisters. This is a reality. It is also important to understand that God's judgment of man, this is very, very important. Listen to me on this. God's judgment of man is not unwarranted or cruel. But it is inevitably, listen to this, a consequence of his holiness and righteous character. It's a consequence. God is holy. God is righteous. And that, here's the problem. The consequence, which is wrath and, and justice, is a consequence of God being that, and we, guess what? Not being what? That. Because of man's sin, because of man's rebellion, because of God, it says that in the scriptures that we, all of us, are enemies of God, apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, that because God is holy and just and good, and we are not, we just merely walk up beside of him, and guess what falls out? Justice and wrath. It's a consequence of who God is. And what I want you to know is that it stands in opposition to the inerrant nature of sin within all mankind. But what I need you to know is this. Please listen to me. I'm trying to really help you understand this justice thing. God's justice and his wrath is not like a bully with a magnifying glass seeking to take up. How many of y'all did this as kids? Or am I just the only sadistic evil person with a magnifying glass? You know, I, it was like godlike. You, you go to the, you go to the, the ant hill and you're like, <laughs> zap, zap, zap. I know, that's before Christ, before Jesus. All right? It's something, listen, all the sinfulness that was Kyle Schiff killing things is not God. God is not a bully with a magnifying glass. That's not the image we have here of God's justice. Like he goes out in spite. Well, I'll show you. Zap. How many of you, we always say when someone says something we don't, we think it's kind of, ooh. We always go, where's the lightning, right? Like God's just sitting up there waiting. And you all know that God doesn't do this because some of you ought to have been zapped a time or two already, right? You are still sitting here today, tells me God ain't this way, right? 
The thing is, is that this is not God. This is not justice. This is not his wrath. It is righteous. It is good. It is holy. He's not walking around like a vindictive, revenge-ridden uh, uh, individual. That's not who he is. One of the character natures of God isn't God is vengeful. God is petty. No, God is just. It's different. And let me show you this in just a second from the text. But really, God and his justice is just being God. And God stands before us and says, here I am. And what we do is go, yeah, but we don't like you. That's really what it comes down to. I'm really a simple person. God says, here I am in all my character, all my, here I am, here I am. And man goes, yeah, well, we don't like that. We don't like you. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did in the garden? They see God before him. He walked in the cool of the day and literally they looked at him and says, not enough for us. We don't like you. Let me show you something. Romans 6, 23. Really famous passage of scripture known as a part of the Romans road. But I'm gonna tell you something. I think there's, and I underlined it there and I'm, and I'm bold-faced it there. Look, the wages. It says in that famous passage, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, free gift, which means not earned, gifts given, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What I want you to know is that in this verse, it says wages. The idea of wages is for me to earn. I go to work. I'm told that if I do this thing, I will get this in, 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 in a response. In other words, a paycheck. So when I work, I receive my Reward. I receive what I work to receive. It is a paycheck to me. Listen, when God dispenses his justice, listen, you are earning your wages in sin. Your sin literally is working its, itself bone to the fingers to the bone to do what? Earn its paycheck. Its paycheck is always the justice and wrath of an almighty, holy, and righteously good God. What does it say? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. You earn your keep. But what does it say next? Very important. But, the word but is one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. And you, those of you, like, you have, you know, junior high humor, get over yourselves. Come on. It's one of the best words in the Bible. Why? Because it's a juxtaposition. So the wages of sin, the paycheck of sin is death. But, oh, I love when but comes because it's like, oh, what, 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 oh here we go. Here's the good news. The free gift of God, not earned, you've done nothing to receive that, it's a gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, amen? The wages of sin, it's earned. The modern question, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, if God is so good and if God is so just, then why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? Now, I'm not going to answer that because we already did a couple weeks ago, but this assumes, that very question assumes that God is not just and that man is good apart from God. Man literally sits in judgment over the God of the universe. Not good. Listen, good intentions here and there, being nice is not God's equal in holiness, in righteousness, and in goodness. And I said here in my notes, I wrote here, church, stop playing games. There is nothing, even our best in order to please God is but what? Poor, wretched rags. On our best day, the old divine said, even our tears of repentance must be washed in the blood of the lamb. He is set apart. Holy means, holy means set apart, not like us. 
let me, I'm going to pick on Keith, okay? Because Keith had the audacity to say something earlier. Now, now that doesn't always happen. I know Keith's personality. I just want to make sure that Pastor Kyle, if you ever joke with him, he'll call you out in a sermon. That's not true. That's not true. I can do this with Keith, all right? Keith, here's the situation. Brother, do you love your mother? I, I, I thought that you probably did. I'm, I'm so, that's a really, it's a really weighty question because if you said something else, I'd be like, oh, Lord. <laughs> you love your mom. Keith, someone has a couple weeks back raped and murdered your mother. Yes. Oh, God. They caught the man who did it. And his trial is coming before the judge. He stands before the judge and he says to the judge, Judge, he got me. I admit I did all these things. But judge, I just want to, I know that you're a good judge. And I just want you to know that I'm really, really sorry. And I'm never going to do this again. And I just want to let you know that, um, uh, by the way, I, before they, I, I'm going I'm to wash your car, right? And I'm going I'm to do, do some community service because I want to give back to the community. I'm just so sorry for what I've done. I'm just, over, over, I'm just overwhelmed with remorse. And I just want to say, because you're a good God, I just, I just hope and I pray that you're going to let me go free. And the judge looks at him and says, in your case, uh, Keith, he looks at you, family that are sitting there and like, you're right, I am such a good judge. I'm a forgiving, and, and it's just a conscience. And I'm, I think that you are sorry. I'm so grateful that you said that today, and you owned up to that. I'm going to let you go free. How many of you are okay with this? We're not okay with this. We typically are when it comes to us, not with other people. Because, see, if God was that type of judge, if the judge judged the way that we want God to judge in our own lives, that's the version of a judge that we want God to be. And, by the way, if that is a judge that we have before us whose name is God, he is absolutely evil and he is unjust. But God is not evil and he is not unjust. He is just. That judge, in this case, would be the most unjust judge that there ever lived, right? Can you imagine if his grace and mercy flowed to the point of not dealing with the situation. Justice. That's a pushover God. That's the, what we call Santa Claus God. But it's not the biblical God of the Bible. So we have before us, we know, we know that Keith, that would, that would you would probably, if I know you a little bit, Keith, that'd probably put a little fire in your belly, wouldn't it? You'd be a little frustrated, right? I don't see Keith going, oh man, didn't go our way, right? You'd, be, you'd probably be, unlike God, vengeful, right? Thank you for admitting your sin. Uh, so the thing is, God is not like us. You see, good intentions here, it doesn't matter. You're not going to appease God's justice and his wrath by saying, I went to church a couple times. I went on a mission trip. God, listen, I, don't know, I need your forgiveness. I need your stuff, but you got to understand, I taught in vacation Bible school for 16 years. You can't wash enough cars, brothers and sisters. You can't say you're sorry enough for God to look in his holiness and say, wink, wink, gotcha. Come on in. Do what you got to do. I'm good. I'm kind. I'm loving. Here's the issue. Many who make sin no longer serious and God's holiness no longer that extraordinary are leading many into a false gospel. It's the the last thing uh, of any sense of good news. It is a watered down, it is a shallow, it is a situation of cheap grace Christianity that costs nothing. 
No, he is as corrupt, that judge, as the man who committed the crime. Yes, I am saying, this is what I'm going to tell you real quickly. The power and the beauty of the gospel, we'll get to my last point, is found in, listen to this, believe it, of all places, the justice and the wrath of God. The beauty of the gospel is found in the foundation of the justice and the wrath of God. Yes, I am saying that when you cheapen and grow ashamed of God's holiness, his justice, and his righteous wrath, you lessen the beauty and the power of grace and love. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But now, number two. That's number one. Number two, God's justice is the answer to all injustice in the world. It says there in verse 17, it continues, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Now look at this. The reason number two is God's justice is the answer to all injustice in our world. If you look in your text, it says the place of justice. In the place of justice, there was wickedness. Now when you see the place of justice, this means the halls of government. The halls of government, and even more so, it means our court systems, or at least the court systems in, in Solomon's day. And he's saying that even in them was found wickedness and injustice. That judge that we just mentioned lived in the court system. God has a plan for the government systems. And he has a, a plan for the courts of the earth. And I want to go ahead and give you a pink, a, a pink, a peek at what God has established for these governmental systems and our court systems to do. So if you look, uh, I've got it right here. Second Corinthians, uh, Chronicles, Second Chronicles 19. 5 through 7, and it states, meaning God, he appoints judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Stop. Let me read that again. Now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. In America, we, we do really good with the fear of the Lord thing, don't we? Not anymore. Look what it says. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. Good thing we live in America where none of that goes on. You got my joke. That's good. Leviticus 19.15. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. In other words, we take no standing as to what and to whom an individual uh, does. Now, here's the thing about this, brothers and sisters. I, I don't know if I have it in, in this place, but show me a picture of Lady Liberty. If you have that in my, somewhere in there, she might be out of place. But as she's pulling up, I want you to know something. In other words, when the systems of earthly judgment no longer do, uh, do so with the living God in mind, meaning their judgment, when those systems become corridors of corruption and distrust, when the courts themselves become tainted and swayed politically, where there can, where there can be, can justice truly be found? Where can justice truly be found? And I just remembered, I don't have it, do I? That's okay. How many of y'all remember the picture of Lady Liberty? In American justice, we have Lady Liberty, and that's my fault uh, there. So what happens is Lady Liberty is blindfolded. She, she's blind. So she gives no partiality in American 
politics and, and specifically in court systems. What does she have in her left hand? Ways and balance. And what's in her right hand? A sword. So she, Lady Liberty, she is blonde, which means she shows no partiality. She judges fairly in the balance of weights, and she is to dispense with her right hand, guess what, justice in the land. This is a picture of Lady Liberty. But here's the thing. We see before us that there is not supposed to be any, uh, uh, there is no partiality in the court systems, and that uh, we shouldn't show favoritism to this person or that person. And do this and do that. Here's the issue with Lady Liberty. Lady Liberty is blind, and for her to be blind, it is a good thing. But let me tell you about God. God is not blind, and that is a good thing. God is not blind in his justice. Solomon looks out of the nations of the world, and he sees that those systems had grown polluted and incompetent in dispensing true justice, and he grew utterly dismayed and declares in them that even in the places of justice, they were what? Wickedness. Now, I'm not trying to get political. I'm just I'm making a statement. I watched the Hillary Clinton scandals. When I was younger, I watched the O.J. Simpson trials. And of the double standards in our own system of justice, even today, which go both ways. Or how about if you're sitting like me sometimes and you watch the news, how about those, who, those areas where people get off in the court systems on technicalities? They're guilty, but something happened in the court, so we have to throw out the case. Or how about those who do something who never get caught until the day they die? How about these areas? How is any of this fair, one may ask? Is there no justice in the land? How about our very own day in which we live? But it gets worse. It's always like me to give good news, right? It gets worse. Look what it says next. Not only in the places of justice was there wickedness, it says next, but the places of what? Righteousness. In the places of righteousness, it was wickedness. Those are the holy places, the temple, listen to me, the church. God forbid. Jeremiah 6, 13 through 15. Jeremiah, the prophet, says of his own day, of the priests. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people, saying lightly, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed of they, when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not even know how to blush. Ooh, we made a mess. We did a boo-boo. They didn't even blush anymore. Jeremiah is sitting there talking to the nation of Israel about what's coming. The true messenger of God and the priest are going, oh, don't listen to that guy. (laughs) He's no fun. He's just a killjoy. He's over there crying all the time. Look, he's crying right now. The weeping prophet crying right now. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Uh, Leviticus, excuse me. We'll get there actually in a minute. Here's here's what I want you to say. The illustration is special favors and attention in the church even. It can happen in the court systems. Can that happen in the church? Can a place of honor be given to someone who ties a lot or has a lot of money in the church? Can some people loudly speak their mouths and their minds and everybody listen to them and the, the quiet person in the corner gets ignored? How about a poor man? Does he have a place at the table of this church? We seek to show no partiality in the house of God because all of us no matter how you put on your pants or how much you got back from your tax income tax statement means nothing in the presence of God who says you are all worthy 
all worthy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says here that in the day that Solomon looks around in the justice system, even in the church itself, there was wickedness. So is justice on the earth today even whole, we may ask? Is it complete or as it should be? And the question is, no, no, this side of heaven, it never will be in this fallen world. It will never, we will never experience perfect and complete justice. It's right there in the text. And I saw that under the sun, under the sun, the right now living of us before heaven, that in the places of justice there was wickedness, in the places of righteousness there was wickedness. However, there is good news to this dilemma, and it says it there next. God will judge the righteous and the wicked, and there is a time, there is a time for every matter and for every work. You, I, I was you watching the news recently. I, I heard in the streets about a year and a half ago, two years ago, no justice, no peace. You remember hearing this? No justice, no peace. Well, let's, let's turn a phrase. It's not N-O justice, N-O peace. It's N, it's K-N-O-W justice, K-N-O-W peace. No justice, no peace. No God, no peace. Let's make it what it is supposed to be. No justice, no peace. No, no justice. And you will know peace. Justice is God. Nothing, and I mean nothing, escapes the Lord's eye and his ability to bring to justice every deed done in darkness. While lady justice, in order to be considered fair, is supposed to be blind, as we've said, make no mistake, God who sees all and knows all judges in perfect fullness and fairness. Job. 12, 22 states he reveals the deep things of darkness and brings utter darkness into the light Hebrews 4 13 and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account listen this is crazy stuff right here let me explain why if all of us will have to stand before the righteous judgment of God What God doesn't need in his court case is a lawyer to show evidence. Oh, I hope I have a bad lawyer who didn't get all the evidence. God says, I don't need your evidence. I got it right here. You don't want, how many of y'all want to go to court like that? A God who knows already what you've done, or a judge who knows everything you've done. He's seen it. He was watching you do it. It almost makes the court case like, you know, the lawyer gets up. We want to tell you what this guy has done. Ah, It's all right. We don't need it. We'll save some time. Do you want to go? You talk about blind court cases like, you. hey, listen, he's an impartial judge. This is not an impartial judge, and yet it's fair. Why? Because he sees all. He already knows. He already knows. He sees all, and that is before us. There is no hiding from the divine justice. He needs no one to give him evidence of anything you've ever done. And let me tell you why this is good news. Because in the court systems today, in under the sun, people can get away off of technicalities and they can lie their teeth through their teeth and get off on all kinds of things, right? Guess what? You will never, none of us will ever escape the eyes of an almighty God. His judgments have always been 100% right on the money. None of us want to stand before that judge. We see here 
that in the midst of all these things that cause our hearts trouble, we can trust that God will deal justly with each deed and atrocity on the face of the planet. Meaning we should pray for the abortion industry, and I'm saying this figuratively, all right, but we should pray for the abortion industry to be swallowed up like Pharaoh's army at the sea of destruction. We should cry out for the final and fatal death blow of racism. We should yearn for the end of human sex trafficking or murder and genocide. Have you been watching the news and what's going on in Ukraine? We should lament. We should, we should call those things out as well as countless other evils that go on in this world today. What's going on maybe at the border and I see tra- sex trafficking in little, in little girls and little boys who are without moms and dads all over the world throughout history. If you study, you'll see that humanity has not been a very kind place. And we should, as the church, oppose them in both word and deed and with passion. Absolutely. However, do not lose sight that all will stand before God and be measured in his hands and in his balances they are always just. Even if such does not receive the weight of justice this side of heaven. Even if it doesn't go down this side of heaven. How many of you have ever been wronged by someone? How many of you feel like you've ever been wronged by someone who got away with it? All right, listen, this shouldn't be your motivation. Hey, God's going to get it one day. <laughs> but it's true that they will. They will stand before a God who sees all. And apart from a saving work of Jesus Christ, this would not be a good day for any of us or any of them. This is the truth. Number three, and lastly, because God's justice gives beauty and weight to the gospel. This is a gospel importance. The promise of divine justice, it is glorious. Because what we just said, what I just, that question I just asked, everything that has ever been done against us or to others, it will not go overlooked. And the promise of divine justice is glorious. I put that here, and you're going, man, you're sadistic, you're so weird. Listen, no. It is only not a glorious thing to those who can, or it is glorious for those who can and will stand in the presence of God due to Christ Jesus. And his righteousness. The world is declaring that an unholy God is bringing unjust and unwarranted evil upon the world today. And if this is God, then he simply is not fair. He is unkind. He is evil. But listen, church. You don't want God to be fair. We saw this last week. At least not in the way that the world thinks. If God was fair... He would and should allow each and every one of us who are enemies of God in our sins to die in our sins without any hope. And he would still be just as God as he was before. Let us talk about what is unfair. What is unfair is that God, in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his goodness, having to come to this fallen world in the flesh that we live in and die a death that we ought to have died on our own behalf, this is the most unfair reality in the universe. So like fallen, it is so like us to start with ourselves in order to understand God instead of trying to understand ourselves in the light of God. This is very important. Every one of us, everyone today wants justice, but only for murderers and thieves, the worst in society. But God's justice will deal with everything on the lying level, on the hate in our heart level, in the adultery in our thoughts level. When we say we want God to, do, to be just, church, listen to me. 
how far do you mean? How far do you truly want God to be just? God is completely and utterly just. And he will do with everything, whether it be a murder or Hitler's genocide in Nazi Germany. And believe it or not, and some people get really angry when they hear this, the lie you told last week. Well, they're not the same. They are to a holy and just God. He is better than all of us. And every sin against God is a smack in his face and a spit in his eye. And it reminds God often of our Adam and Eve parents who said the same thing in the garden so many millennia ago. If you truly want God to deal with sin and do away with it forever, which I do, and I hopefully you do too, if we truly want to see justice done upon evil, on what levels, just how far, we have to be consistent here, church. Remember, God's justice is complete and whole in regard, regarding sin. He will expose it all, and all will be dealt with. The judge who sees all knows all, and God will act. Let me show you this really quickly before I get to my conclusion. Psalm 9, 7 through 8. Oh, yeah. Psalm 9, 7 through 8 first. These two passages. Listen to this. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness, which means right standing. He judges the peoples with uprightness. It means God will judge the world in truth. Psalm 75, 2 through 3. At the set time that I appoint, meaning God, I will judge with equity. Equity means fairness. You've been hearing that word a lot recently? God says, I will judge in fairness. I will judge in equity. When the earth totters and all of its inhabitants, it is I who keeps steady its pillars. Amen. If this all sounds too heavy, if it's hopeless and if it's hard to swallow this morning, let me just say it is supposed to be. For it is all that I am declaring and much, much more. However, it is here in this truth, in this reality, that the gospel becomes absolutely, here it is, here's the turn, amazing and complete in its beauty. I'm going to quote something from someone that I have no idea wrote it. I looked everywhere for who wrote this guy. I can't, this is not me. That's why it's in quotations. But I can't give you the author of this. I just have it. And I looked everywhere online to find who was it so I could, I don't know. But listen to this. Much of modern visions of Christian faith may still speak of divine love and Christ's cross. Amen. But they fail to see that the cross is neither a mere display of affection. It's not merely that. Nor an improvement program. The cross shows God's unleashing grace, unleashing grace in Christ as God upholds justice through Christ. This effective death for sinners does not cancel future judgment. The atonement actually guarantees, it's a picture of what will happen, God will one day punish the unrepentant. The atonement shows us what the Lord will soon do without a perfect substitute to bear his wrath. This is how God is fair. You show the picture of the cross. This is how God is fair in overlooking your sins. If you are in Christ Jesus, because the cross is merely a physical expression of God's hate for sin and the penalty and payment for your sins, at the same time, God's love for mankind. 
like the courtroom, Keith. We're guilty. We've been caught. God sees all. He will dispense his justice because his justice is fair and it is good. And I stand and I say, Judge, I just want to let you know I want to I I um, rub your feet. I want to I I I rake your leaves in your yard. Please let us go. I'm so sorry. Look how, oh, I'm so sorry. God says, I'm, so, I'm glad that you're sorry, whatever, but uh, you have to pay the penalty. You have to pay the fine. Whether it be a quadruple million dollars, quadrillion dollars, or if it's life itself, we're in trouble. And by the way, you and I in this room have no way to pay for it. There's nothing your good deeds can do or anything that you could say is going to get your past that judge because that judge is a good and holy judge. And I already told you that the lawyers in the court system mean nothing, right, because God sees all. But we do have an advocate. We do have an intercessor. Do you know his name is Christ? He is the lawyer above all lawyers, and he stands, and, he, and we plead our case before God. God says guilty, and Jesus says he is guilty. I'll pay the fine. At the cross, we say things like this all the time. How is it fair that God will overlook my sins and not another person's sins? And I want you to please hear me say this. God has never overlooked any man's sins. Have you looked at the cross? God has never overlooked a sin as he beat Jesus Christ to a pulp in his wrath. It is at the moment, the picture of God's hatred towards sin, and at the very same moment, his love for you and me in Jesus Christ. Amen? When I understand the depravity of my heart, the fallenness of my soul, when I understand that I can do nothing, that I am desperate apart from Jesus Christ before God, and when I understand that he is holy and he is righteous and he is just, and all of a sudden someone says, hey, the wages of sin is death. You're earning every bit of that. By the way, real quick before that happens, knock, knock, knock. Here's a gift. It's free. You didn't earn this. The gift is Christ. We go free, not because God has overlooked sin, no, because God spilt his wrath upon the, because of Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, all of us in this room, that he might bring us to God. We don't bring ourselves there, he does. Being put to death in the flesh, <laughs> he died, but made alive in the spirit. What did we, what did we celebrate last week? He, he came up out of that grave. We sang it a second ago. Amen? This morning, what I want you to understand is that God's righteous, righteous justice and wrath is not bad news. It's only bad news for a world that does not have the lawyer, the intercessor, the one who comes and pleads our case before the judge. If you go into that courtroom without Christ, you will lose your case, as every man has throughout history and will in the time come. But also remember that that one who stands in to plead our case is the Lamb of God, the sacrifice once for all, and he is the very nature of the line of the tribe of Judah. And he does this because of his own glory and for his love for you and me. This morning, here's the conclusion, if you are taking notes. So brothers and sisters, God's justice is important because... Number one, it is who he is. To stop being just would stop being God. It establishes our worship in a true God. Number two, it is hope that in the world of evil that we live in, that there will be absolute and complete justice. Under the sun, justice 
It's hard to find, isn't it? The God who sees all sees all, and he will deal rightly with all of these things. He is fair. Number three, a proper, and I'd say biblical understanding of God's justice feeds our gratitude and amazement in the gospel. It makes good news extraordinarily great news. Music team, if you want to come on up real quick and just get ready, and I'm going to say something off my notes. I am so grateful that in my own life, I guess I'm giving a little testimony moment. God was God always. Growing up as a teenager and whatnot and things, and when I wanted to follow him. I, but brother says, let me tell you something. I, I, was, I, was very, I was sold at a very earlier age, in my teen years, a very cheap, small God. And when you serve a very cheap and small God, oftentimes the Savior becomes very cheap and small. When the Savior is very cheap and small, sometimes his grace and mercy becomes very cheap and small. As I got older, I realized that my God, the God of the universe, is a very big God. It says the beginning of wisdom, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The problem is that we do not tremble before God very much anymore as a nation and as a world today. And I think it's oftentimes because of the preaching that comes out of the pulpits in America and all over the world. We are ashamed of this God. We have looked at him and we said, we don't like you. Staring at that God causes my heart to tremble. But it makes me want to hold on to Jesus all the more. Because Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my only hope. All I have is Christ. And it will feed my worship. And it'll feed the way that I preach. It'll feed the way that I share the gospel with lost and dying men. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is that gospel that saved a wretch like me.